Welcome everybody, Rogue Table Talk, number 27, new series. New series, starting something new, moving into new territory, breaking new ground. New frontier. New frontier. It's a new attitude. <laughs> attitude of gratitude. Attitude of gratitude. That's not what the series is called, no, but it is. it should have been though. <laughs> it's right, it would have worked. Yes. It's entrusted. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, how we are stewards of life, of gifts, of uh, what God uh, lends to us, essentially, to use for his purposes. And so uh, just a quick overview of the series. We're going to be talking about living simply and being content, which we'll do today. We're going to be talking about um, debt and temptation and then uh, str- strategies for spending and for saving, uh, generosity. And we're going to be talking about uh, being grateful. And so it is it is uh, I mean, not- maybe we might. He might talk. There's about the attitude of gratitude. Yeah, we well, Rogue might talk Rogue. about those things. May or may not. If you right. attend Calvary on a Sunday or mm-hmm. online, you will hear those things. That's right. In a That's roundabout right. way. Correct. Correcto. But yeah. Um, and then the last one is actually attitude of gratitude. <laughs> so it's not only money, but it does include that. Yeah. We are yeah. Um, stewards of our story. Right. And so we're stewards of of life, essentially. That's right. And so today we will talk about this thing that I think is often, I don't know, ignored or, uh, you know, I don't know if it's out of reach. I think it's pretty rare in our culture is contentment. Um, and so let's just start with that. Like, what is, <clears throat> what is contentment? What does it mean to be content, and what isn't contentment, uh, and you know, just when you're content, when I'm content, I fill in the blank. That's a good question. How do I know I'm content? How do I know I'm content? Yeah, I just think in our culture that it's. I think unless you're doing something against the grain of our culture our entire culture works towards discontent. I mean, yeah. every advertisement is, I mean, you can't be happy without this thing, right. this service, this vacation, this retirement plan, this car, this whatever. Um, this is who you really are. Make a statement about you know, your station in life. Uh, show the world your blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, Buy this, go here, do this. Um, and so I think that's we're just surrounded by. And I think, you know, we see other people and we see what car they drive and what clothes they wear and they talk about their vacations and um, and uh, all of that can tend to work against contentment, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. Uh, or it tends to work against contentment. I mean, obviously, hearing those messages don't make me discontent. But right. Um, so like what is, so to be less affected or relatively unaffected by that, uh, requires some level of contentment, I think. And so yep. what, what, how would you describe to be content is? Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure. I think I'm 39. I think probably when I was 20, we were talking about contentment, maybe 25. I thought, well, it's this. Right. And it would, which would be, uh, you know, I'd like to uh, get a job 
that I sort of want to have. Uh, I want to have enough. I want to have a place to live and have enough money to pay for the house and the car and the food and the clothes. Yeah. Right. Which you have. Which I which so I have. Bob, so you which must I have. be content. I have more than I thought I would. Yeah. When I was that age. Sure. So obviously I'm content. Right. Because <laughs> I have more than I thought I right. would have. Turns out that's not. Yeah, I think it works. I think the conversation is actually really complex because I don't know if contentment means I don't ever want anything else. That would be to shut down a part of my humanity. Right. So, so what is the, that's interesting. So instead of, yes, I, I'm content, I've shut down all desire in my life, it's different from, yeah, you know what? I'd like to go on that vacation. Uh, I would like to get a new car, but I don't have the money right now. Right. It wouldn't be wise, but I'm content with that. That's a different, that's a different it's, thing. It seems very different. Yeah. Like I'm content or I've numbed myself to all longings and desires or even desire for uh, achieving mm -hmm. and going forward. Right. You know, there's a healthy sense of that, of like, oh, I'm content not to do anything else in my job. Okay, maybe that's true. But for many people, that's not true. They want to work more. They want to do things differently. So I don't know. It's a, It seems like an interesting uh, conversation to have around and maybe there's something with wants and needs there. Like if I, if it becomes more of an ultimate thing for me, if I yeah. need that to happen yeah. to meet to mm. meet something that I feel like I'm missing, yeah, that seems against contentment. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because I do think let's just okay. It's hard to describe contentment. There we go. So let's talk about discontentment, and I do think in time, you know, things like ambition a drive to do something different or to attain something or whatever isn't necessarily discontentment. It could be a sense of this journey I'm on. Uh, I do think um, wanting something that I don't have isn't really the same thing as discontentment. It, it can be related, but I think I find it more once I get the thing I thought I wanted, it doesn't do anything for me yeah yeah it doesn't give me peace it doesn't make me feel settled you know i get the promotion we buy the bigger house uh my child gets into whatever school um whatever it is that we wanted that we made our target getting it i think so that's one thing whether whether my desire it might be misplaced for something I don't have is one thing. I do think the bigger problem is once I have whatever I do have, I'm not at peace. Yeah. I'm unsettled. I'm whatever. And I think that's, I think if we look at it through that lens, that maybe tells us more about what contentment is and isn't, right? I think that's true. I think that's true. And I can't um, see into your story. And so you may have went and got a new car mm -hmm. and that may not be, that may not tell me anything right. about your contentment level, discontentment level, right? like, you know, where you are materially or anything. Um, all I can speak to is, but what does this mean for me? And so I, I'm, I'm formulating a kind of a bad, you know, definition of contentment, but it has something to do with being uh, resolved to have ultimate things answer your ultimate questions. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It is, am I satisfied with what whatever it is the Lord has for me? 
is that good? Is that enough for mm-hmm. me? Right. Um, you know, so one of the verses that, you know, we're going to look at is Proverbs 15, 16, better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. It's better to have little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and inner turmoil. And of course, immediately we say, well, I'd want to have fear for the Lord and great treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's wise, that's but I'm, I want the that's other. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> Can't we have the other? <laughs> and so it, it, here <clears throat> you've got fear for the Lord or fear of the Lord, which is a, it's a phrase common, not just in the Bible, but it's, it's all through the Proverbs. And it's sort of contrasted with inner turmoil. And it does seem to be like you have one or the other. Yeah. You have fear of the Lord or inner turmoil. And so what is that? What is the fear of the Lord? And what, maybe I'll just say that, what is the fear of the Lord? And what, what is the fear of the Lord? What fears does the fear of the Lord replace? Yeah. What is the fear of the Lord? That's good. I think when I hear fear of the Lord, theologically, there is a single-mindedness and single-purposeness to your life. There is a resolve to come to submit your allegiance to his authorship, Mm -hmm. to surrender your story, your worldview, your stuff, your everything um, to him, and which he gives it back to steward, but it's first and foremost, you allow him. You're mm-hmm. submitting to New Testament language, submitting to the Lordship of Christ. Mm. Um, so this is fear of the Lord. It's not, I'm afraid of God, so I'll obey. You know, I'm afraid of punishment, so I'll obey. We know First Peter says, you know, perfect love casts out fear. I'm sorry, actually, I think that's First John. Perfect love casts mm-hmm. out fear. So it's not, I'm afraid of this curmudgeon God who's always watching them bad behavior it's more so this sense of i am committed to mm-hmm. surrendering my life so fear of the lord is a surrender it's a centeredness in that surrender it's awe worship valuing you know the lord as the lord yeah uh all of those things and it doesn't of course you can have the fear of the lord and great treasure sure um, yeah that's not what it's not that's not what it's saying right here. because i think in a world historical standpoint almost anyone who's listening to this podcast has great treasure compared to anyone who would have read this originally or reads it all around the world now and that's hard to believe i think for us um but if you have the fear of the Lord, there's the centeredness of your life that that's what the center of your life is. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that or you're lacking that or you have little, then other things have to try to fill that void. Yeah. And that's what I think where discontentment comes in. The void he must fill, we try to fill with experiences, possessions, um, purchases, or... For some people, probably not those things, but you know, more the the hoarding of the savings, like you know, the the balance of the saving account keep going in. But it's the same sort of idea. Like, yeah. this is what I'm doing for security in life. This is what I'm doing for joy. This is what I'm doing for peace. Right. This is what I'm doing for purpose, for meaning, yeah. meaning, purpose, value, significance, identity. Right. And that's where I, you're you're wonderfully illustrating my the definition of 
we're letting God answer those deep, deep questions about us uh, to such a degree where stuff comes in and stuff goes, and that's okay. Right. And maybe we do have a great treasure, maybe we don't, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're content with God and the story that he's given to us. Our, our certain plot of land, right. we don't get to pick that. Right. We're all given an allotment um, of whatever portion of grace that is, and that's, that's who, we just have to understand that and accept that. Yeah, so I think it's it's if I have that centeredness that all of this can make some sort of sense and some sort of resonance. If I don't, the idea. And so here's let me let me let me finish that thought after reading the second Proverbs, Proverbs nineteen twenty three. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Mm-hmm. And the fear of the Lord leads to life. So this, this, this is the sort of the life we're supposed to have. You know, the fear of the Lord sort of represents this, this Lord-centered, missional, identity, life, community, all of this stuff that, we've, that we hope is part of being and part of God's people. Um, that should lead to contentment because that's mm-hmm. really what life is all about. Um, and when I'm not content, then I, where do I look first? And what does that look like? Um, and so let me go back to that. The first question is given all of that, like what do I even know when I'm not content? Mm. Like what is, if discontentment is ubiquitous and it's the water we swim in, Mm. how do I measure my level of discontent? mint how do i even like what is you know what i'm saying yeah it's like you know i don't know it's like living in a place where that's always 100 degrees at some point you don't even call it hot anymore that's true it's just the temperature it always is and i think in our world that do i think about am i content and if not and it's bigger it's a bigger question than money and possessions and stuff because it could be uh, I'm saying my marriage is not making me happy or my career is not making me happy or whatever, the place I live is not making me happy. And really what I'm saying, I'm just not content. And and probably fixing all of those things doesn't change. I wonder if you could even say it like this. Um, it's not waiting until that to start living your life. Right. That's good. You know, it's like, oh, well, f- I finally, when I reach this uh, tax bracket or we get that promotion, or we get that city, we move to that neighborhood or whatever it is, th- like I'm living for that. And when I reach that, then I'll really start to like live. I'll start yeah. to, you know, finally right. settle down and, and whatever. Right. Um, stop striving. And it, I think contentment is don't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Whatever yes. that is. Right. Yeah. Or to put it in a reverse and sort of negative formulation, if you have a, a difficult job or you're in a difficult marriage or you have a difficult child, don't blame that for not living your life. Oh, that's really good. This is, I thought all those things were kind of difficult to some degree. Yeah. Job, right. marriage, and children. Right. I was like, oh, right. yeah. There's some I'm level like, of difficulty. Okay, that's all difficult. <laughs> that probably speaks to discontentment 
we have unrealistic expectations yeah. of yeah what will make us happy and what life is and so on and so on like you said when i'm you know when you're 20 and you think well one day i'll be married and i'll have a home and i'll have kids i'll have a job that's meaningful then i'll be perfectly content yeah well that what that formulation means is all of those things make me content right but that's that's false the crazy thing is once you step into those places and you have them then your world becomes very very colored you have a lot more markers to choose from and then you have like 10 different things stepping stones yes. or things you never thought to be discontent about before right become potential when objects. i get those yeah. then i'll be done striving and i'll start yeah. living i just think now is the time to live engage yes. with it whatever you have yeah. now is the time to embrace that yeah so it's interesting because i one of the things that i think plays into this is the 10th commandment okay that Thou shalt not cover your covet your neighbor's wife, donkey, whatever else it says. Yep. I think wife and that's donkey. That's the only are two it. you can that's remember. All there are. It's wife and it's donkey yeah. in whatever order. It might have been donkey first. For those of you who have neighbors with donkeys, <laughs> you want to check yourself <laughs> when you're looking over the fence. Like, man, yeah. that donkey works right. hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> My donkey doesn't work that hard. But it's an in, like it's one of the top ten things. Yeah, is. And so what does that mean? What does to covet something mean? And I think it means we compare ourselves to them and say, I want what they have. Yeah. Or to put it in this for I'll be, I won't be content until I have what they have. Yeah. And it's one of the 10 commandments, which makes it seem pretty important, right? It's one of the top 10 things. It's the top 10. Like if, so if I'm living that way, man, it's hard. It's hard to live not only in contentment, it's hard to have the fear of the Lord or this God-centered, Christ-centered, transformative missional existence be big in my life because these other things seem so big. Yeah. It's almost, I, I don't know what you think about this definition. I think covet to covet something, um, to talk about that language, it's a bit of an old definition, so yeah. I don't know if we use it anymore. Right. I've heard someone to help get a grasp on it, like covetousness is basically lusting after yeah. someone else's goods, like something yeah. else Being you jealous don't have. for, you know, be envious and lusting after. And so I do think, again, we live in a pretty covetous culture. Well, it's like, uh, if you've ever experienced that, and I have... You're definitely not content. You know that. Right. You're like it's a gr it's a grief sense to you of I've got to have this thing. They have it. They have it, Looks and like, I need know. it. Right. And it's like, oh wow, that's that's hell inside. Yeah. It's that's what with your first verse, Proverbs fifteen sixteen. That's inner turmoil. Yeah. Right. I've got to have that yeah. thing, and I won't rest until I get it. Well, yeah. that's inner hell. Yeah. And so you can have great treasure. And all that needs to happen is your neighbor has something you don't have. And all of a sudden you've got great treasure and inner turmoil yeah. at the same time. Because your great treasure doesn't mean, well, you, you know, it doesn't make up for that. I think that's, we live in a culture that, uh, you started out by saying it, it uh, cultivates discontent, but it really cultivates this sort of lusting after mm -hmm. what your neighbor has. I was reading this article about, you know, that the you know the most rich and powerful prince 
of 50 years ago didn't have, didn't drive a car uh, as nice as a Toyota Camry. Really? Oh, no. I mean, you think about it. There's no backup camera. There's no, you know, all this stuff that's sort of normal now. Like, so the normal bar just keeps moving up. It's the same with TVs. And, you know, I remember uh, we, when we, when Nancy got married, we bought this Sony Trinitron. I think it was 19 inch. Yeah. And, you know, he had these probably 19 inches deep with a big tube (laughs) sticking back there. And it had like individual buttons for like two, three, four, five. Literally, you had to get up and walk over and push the push the button. Right. And we had that TV for a long time. And it was like when we bought that, it was like, man, it was a lot of money. You know, it's, um, but you know, you can't have a TV, right? Uh, we live in America. So, and... And now, literally, you couldn't give that away. I mean, so at the time, that was a really nice TV. Sure. And this is not, you know, this is not 1937. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1985. 39. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it's like, it, it's so fast it happens that whatever we valued, whatever our culture values, there's a bit of arbitrariness to it. Like it it's values true. it now. And then all of a sudden, like whatever was cool to have when I was in high school, like a Sony, I don't know when Sony Walkmans were, Sony Walkman, or I don't, we didn't have Sony Walkmans, I don't think in high school, because I think we, maybe we did. We still had eight track tape players in cars when I was in high school. Yeah. Right. Um, which is hilarious. I mean, I just remember, I, I, you know, that, hey, we, you know, we replaced, we got a car with a used car with a cassette player in it instead of an eight track player. Yeah. I was like, what right. up? You know, right. <laughs> you, you were right. And, <laughs> and that's that, like, and whatever we think we have to have now, 10 years from now, we won't value it at all. Yeah. And I think things change so rapidly. So we get, we get told what we need to get sold. We, that's right. That's right. You like that little sticky statement coming at you, right? The phones. So what's well, the thing? Like, so iPhone 11 comes out. Thanks, Invisible like, Jacob. Yeah, and Jacob showed us his phone, um, and it's like, oh, obviously my my phone is inadequate now. Yeah, it went from adequate to inadequate, and nothing about the phone or my experience of the phone changed. Like none of that changed. I still have the same phone. It works the same way as it did. A new model comes out, and it's now inadequate right right it has nothing to do with the actual adequacy of the phone it's now there's something better yeah something better (laughs) huh this is fascinating oh so let me ask you this what do you think like when we're thinking big picture uh mission of god role of the church we talked about vision last week like how can contentment serve like how do we've talked about internally how does it promote my own joy like it's a good thing to mm-hmm. uh to to you know stretch your muscle stretch your contentment muscles to develop those things because i don't think it's just going to happen i think you have to work at it um but collectively how can contentment serve the mission of god how does covetousness sabotage the mm-hmm. mission of god like right. what's the role there well i think if you so if you take if you come at it from a, a a few other words that relate to that. Like for instance, do am I living 
in, uh, am I, um, am I owning the grace that God has given me? Is that, am I identified by, I am a person that has been given deep and abiding grace by God. And therefore I'm a person who is, who is grateful, who is thankful for all that God has done for me and paying an unpayable debt and dying on the cross and rising again to offer me forgiveness and new life. And therefore, am I a person of forgiveness? And can I, can I, can I be generous with forgiveness? Can I be generous with grace? Mm-hmm. And can then I be grat, you know, grateful for all that God's done for me? And I think the answer to those questions seem to me to be directly related to, um, am I, am I valuing what's really important and therefore am I content? Because if I'm, if I'm, if I'm able to appreciate God's grace to me and hold on to that and to worship him because of that and to accept his forgiveness and give us forgiveness and, and be grateful, live grateful lives for all God has done. I don't know that I can possibly then be discontent. And if I'm content, I don't know that I can be too far away from grace, gratitude, Mm -hmm. mercy, forgiveness, and generosity. If those are the things we tend to fill up the house with, there's not a lot of room in the house for discontentment. Right. I think the seeds of discontentment, maybe to put it this way, the seeds of discontentment or the evidences of discontentment are a lack of gratitude, lack of grace, lack of forgiveness, therefore a sense of entitlement, therefore a sense of FOMO, mm-hmm. you know, therefore a sense of whatever, focusing on what I don't have rather than what God has given me. Mm. Um, because I think that even that God has given me faith, God is that faith is a gift by God's grace to believe in him and the faith is the entree to forgiveness and new life and transformation. And if I have all of those and I'm sort of relishing all of those that I do or don't have the iPhone 11 is a much smaller deal than if I've sort of, yeah, all that's true, but I've sort of forgotten about it. Yeah. And I think that's where the, I think when we struggle with contentment and therefore struggle with issues of money, it mostly isn't about money. Right. No, and that's why when we're talking about, if we do talk about money in the church, uh, we're ultimately talking about our affections, our heart, the battle that goes on there. Like, what does it reveal about me? Mm -hmm. And so that's the aim is for human flourishing and wholeness and the avenue to get there, the avenue to talk about those places in the heart is often even for Jesus, money, contentment, discontentment, greed, generosity, uh, because I don't think there's a lot of gray in those conversations. Uh, God or mammon, right? Yeah, you they can expose. love one yeah. and serve one, and you have to hate, you know, disregard the other. He's the only person who gets to genuinely, confidently put dichotomies, right. binary thinking right. in front of us, right. and we can say, that's that's yeah. true. Yeah. It can't be one, it can't be both. It's yeah. got to be this or that. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that which actually one is just... It? Uh, I love it when Jesus reinforces my point. (laughs) Isn't that always? (laughs) Where if, so another way to think of that is, is just what we've been saying that if I love mammon, 
In other words, if I'm devoted to it, worried about it, serving it, looking to it for joy, significance, meaning, pleasure, then I can't also do that with God. That's what Jesus is saying. It's true. That if I look at my life and that sort of describes me with, with relationship to money and materialism and things and wealth, that's sort of where I am, then I'm kidding myself. Yeah. If I really is saying, no, I just I just count on the Lord for everything and I'm just content in the Lord, that Jesus says that's not true. Yeah, you've deceived yourself or I've deceived myself uh, so much to think that penultimate things have actually answered ultimate things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a good point. I do think that's because we can tell ourselves, well, there's nothing wrong with having money and there's nothing wrong with this and there's nothing, and it's true. Yeah. Uh, but it, I think C.S. Lewis said it, um, penultimate is you know second thing and i think he talked about i was hoping that what it meant because i just throw stuff no, out sometimes second thing good, that's right good great uh penultimate versus ultimate and i think he lewis said the problem with second things isn't that they're second things is that when we try to make second things first things they they don't work as first things mm-hmm. and then we lose them as second things too so we like lose the, both. We lose both. Like yeah. the proper enjoyment of money, wealth, experiences, possessions, which is which should be small, smaller insignificance to what is first. We actually lose that too because we're yeah. we're asking too much of it. We're asking for it to make us content, and it can't and bear the weight. It can't do it. That's so. That reminds me of uh, uh, Keller's book on idols, counterfeit gods, right? And that's what he says is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. That's right. So that good thing is a second place thing. This is that's a great point yeah. that you made. I think that's a really good part of the conversation is that it's a good thing. Yeah, it's not evil. It's right? a good gift of the Lord. You have that's a right. nice house. You have nice stuff. That's fine. It's a good thing, but it's a second place thing. And when it becomes an idol is when we tend to make that an ultimate thing. Yeah. And that right. grants us our significant identity, power, pleasure like the ultimate things. And then we lose both. We then lose we that lose because both. it can't bear the weight of it. Right. And we lose God, right. the ultimate, become, because Jesus right. said, right. can't be one or the other. Right. Yeah, and I think so. I, I think it's important to realize that's what Jesus is saying is when we look at it wrongly, money becomes a rival God. Mm-hmm. And you can either serve the real God or you can serve the rival God. We do not want to think of it in that way. Right, right. Uh, when we can serve the real God and have money, but we can't take that money and make it into a rival God, and God says, "No, you know, you're you choosing one or the other. You're no longer really serving me. You're, mm-hmm. you know, one or the other." Um, and I think that's, you know, I think, I, are we totally honest with ourselves about that? Well, that's right? what I was going to say because you asked that question earlier. Like, how do we know? So on the on the spectrum of how do we know where our discontentment is, and so to put it in this um, analogy that we're using, we know we've put a good thing in an ultimate's place. If when we lose it or we don't get it, we just go right to despair. Yeah, we're devastated. We're crushed by it. Right. We're crushed by not getting it. We know that's a you know signal, red flag indicator of okay, something's up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And then also, as I'm thinking about it, I don't, you know, so all of this stuff, it's not like looking at houses on Zillow. It's called Zillow, right? 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's not like that's wrong. But if that's like something you're doing all the time, yeah. well, it might be an indication of something. Yeah. It's not like following the markets is wrong. But if you're living and dying with the daily ups and downs of the market and looking at how does that, looking up your, going on your online account and, okay, that might be an indication of something. I read a story guy who takes his stuff, sets it up and looks at it on vacation. Okay, that might be a problem. <laughs> that might be a problem. I <laughs> right. mean, you need to take a look at that and say, what am I asking of this? Uh, and then how does that set me up for discontentment? Like if I'm always looking at the new this and the new that and the other, that I'm not going to have and probably can't really afford, then it's how do I make it? How how can I live con with contentment in what I do have? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I do think that we've gone to other parts of the world where people would look at our life and think, how could you possibly ever be worried or have a care in the world to be afraid of anything? Right. Right. And it's 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 not a horrible question. It's no. right in comparison, it's not a horrible question. Uh, but we but we are and we do because yeah. I think we put it in place of something that it, it just can't do um one more uh one more passage that i think i want to get to that we can kind of uh talk through uh, before we're done here it's first timothy six and uh paul's writing to timothy about obviously people in his church and i probably there's some people with some money is what the, the implication here there's some right. people who are doing pretty well um and first Timothy 6, starting in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. That's where that comes from. But if we have food and clothing, with these we, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So what is, first of all, I love the, we brought nothing into this world mm -hmm. and we cannot take anything out of the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not just because that's, that became, it's become a saying, but it places contentment in a bigger story that ultimately all this stuff that we're worried about will be meaningless. Yeah. A thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, a million years from now, in eternity, all of this stuff, we brought nothing into the world. We're taking none of it out. Um, except godliness with contentment is something that will impact our, our eternity. So that's mm -hmm. like, again, connecting it to the bigger story, like living with less things seems to make less sense if we forget about the bigger story. Yeah. But if you remember the bigger story, it's like, okay, well, it can, it can make sense. But after that, the passage really is about desiring to be rich, the love of money, the craving. Yeah, I was hearing all those words kind of pop out. It's not about how much you have. Yeah. It's about desiring for more uh, senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. The love of money is the root of all kind of... So that's, again, it's not the saying that is sometimes you hear is money is the root of all evil. Right. But that's not, that's a misquoting of this verse. That's the love of money, which is worse. Mm -hmm. Because anybody can be guilty of the love of money. You can have little, you can have a lot, right? 
It is the root of all kinds of evils. And it kind of, given all of that, okay, you've been a believer a long time. I've been a believer a long time. Why do we love money? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we love it, right? We I mean, love let's it. just be honest. Yeah, it, that's that's a part of the mm -hmm. fallen human condition. I, I have a theory, and it may take us off, but just bring us back. It'll take mm -hmm. me two seconds. Um, I think there are certain things in the creation that have more uh, power attached to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so their uh, ability to try to quickly answer things for us about status and identity, they just have more potency. And I think sex is one, and I think money's another. Mm -hmm. And I think those two things in the world, obviously those are good things in and of themselves. Um, they were yeah. a part of God's created order, but sin is a good thing twisted. Yeah. And so the fallen aspect of those, and you see it in money, that's there's something very, very powerful about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and money might be, uh, since money in our culture enables potentially sex and power and possessions and exploiting other people and whatever. Yeah. It's sort of the, the fuel, can be the fuel for all of those things. You know what I think it does? Mm. This is what I think right now. Uh, it's an attempt to insulate you from the fear of death yeah i like it because it is a the more money you have and the more affluence you have i think the more difficult it is to face your own death and you and i've been to africa mm -hmm. we've been to places where they don't have very much and their lifespan is shorter and death is always in front of them and i don't i don't when i live here i don't think about it as much yeah and you read that proverb to start with Better to have little with the fear of the Lord, have great treasure in your turmoil. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And I keep thinking like, yeah, if we don't have the fear of the Lord, then we're going to have to work really, really hard. Because as Hebrew says, one of the things that we've always been a slave to is the fear of death. Mm. And so I wonder if like this thing that we're talking about um, is somehow related to that. Ah, I think so. I think, and, and maybe to take that one step further, that it makes me, and I'm, all the way back to the garden the more money i have the more godlike i feel mm -hmm. or the more or the less that i need god mm -hmm. uh and i think we can tend to try to live lives where we need god as little as possible mm. that yeah. right that there are things that i can't that money can't buy and might you know healing or whatever but even there i can get better care or not get care um but i have this sense that i don't want to live in dependence I don't want to live in submission. I don't want to live in finitude. I don't want to live as a creature. I kind of want to live as the captain of my own ship. And money gives me the illusion of doing that, even keeping death at arm's length, right? Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I think that in all of these ways, it kind of goes all the way back. And you contrast that with the fear of the Lord. It becomes like a, it's a rival God. Yeah. I mean, it kind of gives us this independence from God potentially. I mean, of course, it's ridiculous because he could have his fingers and it'd all be gone. Um, and, you know, maybe sometimes that would be the best thing that would happen to us. Um, 
So yeah, it's a power. All of a sudden now, we're, we went from contentment to talking about godlike properties and you know keeping the fear of death at bay. Yeah, <laughs> because but I think that's where it's powerful. it goes to. That's uh, right. right. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, it you look at you know three hundred and something million people in our country driven pretty effectively by a consumer market that cultivates counts on discontent. And I, again, I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't think we're impacted by that right. on a daily basis. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and what does it mean to live in that culture? And what does it mean then to live counterculturally? If living missionally means living counterculturally, isn't actual contentment super countercultural? Like if we were actually content, would people go, what's your deal? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it is, it is countercultural. You know, if you want to figure out how to start conversations about faith, live con there's a content life. There you go. You, you, people will ask you. Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't have to arbitrarily force some conversation. Right. Be content. Yes. Hmm. Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. But if I'm actually but living... I'm very discontent, yeah, I'm very so discontent. I can't tell you about that's that right. plan. <laughs> yeah, that's going to sound weird coming from me, because you know me. If you're a stranger, I can maybe sell you on that. Um but I think that's that's right. I think one of the advantages of living in a culture that's drifting more towards secularism is if we sort of live God-centered, fear of the Lord sort of lives and living then therefore uh, with contentment and the, you know, the fear of the Lord leading to life, this flourishing, um, I think all of a sudden people will go, what's, what's, what's the deal with that? Yeah. Um, and so that's why uh, it's why we talk about this topic periodically in the church is because it's a powerful thing. And Jesus talks about it a lot. And all through the Bible, it's talked about a lot, not just because, hey, we want you to give more money, which is uh, often one of the applications of, uh, you know, talking about money in the church. Um, and that probably is something that applies to most people. Mm-hmm. But it applies in this sort of realm is, are, are you gripping your money too tight? Yeah. And why? And what is that doing to you spiritually? And what is that keeping you from in terms of life of flourishing? Um, so anyway, that's, that's sort of what we're, I mean, we're probably going to have that just to sort of name the elephant in the room. When people hear this sort of, this is what they think. They've probably already thought it as they're listening. but. I think we're really, I think we're going to focus more on the heart issue and what is this doing to your heart and what does freedom and flourishing look like? And freedom and flourishing probably goes hand in hand with generosity. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's, uh, that's what we'll talk about. I'm, I, uh, I'm not quite sure where we're going next, next week, but it's going to be somewhere along this, this pathway. Uh, and I think that's a question that we can leave this week with is, what does contentment look like for you? Are you content? Um, can you name your discontentedness? Um, and what is that doing to your heart? And what do you do with that? So with that sort of probing list of questions, those questions. we're going to sign off. And, yeah. Uh, God be with you this week. And may he uh, grow in your heart a fear of him that is lovely and gracious. Uh, and wise and uh, full of faith. Have a great week. 
Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.